Major funding for Telehell is provided by Dave's Archives. If you're looking for retro commercials from the 50s all the way up to the 90s, and possibly some points beyond in the future, turn to Dave's Archives, also home to the TGIF live stream on Friday nights. Go to davesarchives.com. By Retro Cirque on YouTube, home to the off-duty mind players and all those off-air commercials that he likes to put up so much from the 80s and 90s. Go to YouTube and type in Retro Cirque, spelt with a Q at the end. And by the continuing financial support of our patrons at patreon.com slash telehealthpodcast, including Mr. Cheeseball, Rick Kalaki Jr., Robert Marquez, Chris Michaud, Meredith Morrissey, and Neil Weinstein. Thank you. How far are you willing to go to survive? If you have a stack of bills staring you in the face, you'll pretty much do whatever it takes to pay them. If you're being cornered by bullies, you better hope that you know at least one karate move or one move guaranteed to get your bully in the nuts. If your job is on the line, try to dig up as much dirt as you possibly can on your supervisor. Results may vary, of course. We don't 100% condone that around here. But anyway, whatever it is you do to survive, call it your basic fight-or-flight mentality that's been the subject of evolutionary studies for centuries. You know what else has been the subject of evolutionary studies for centuries? Monkeys! And now, don't fight it, folks. This is Telehell. Well, here we go again as we take a look at yet another entry from TV Guide's 2002 list of the 50 worst TV shows of all time. How do other TV magazines measure up to TV Guide? The others give you program listings and maybe a feature or two. TV Guide gives 20 you years ago, The Almighty Guide published this list as part of the magazine's 50th anniversary. 20 years later, some of us wish that that list was written in pencil instead of stone, because in the 20 years since that list was published, not only have there been more worthy flops to induct there since then, but some of the existing selections may not exactly stand the test of time. As we learned recently with Holmes and Yo-Yo, sometimes tastes and attitudes change. What we hated back then may be considered run-of-the-mill cheesy today. More so, a lot of these shows have amazing talent both in front of and behind the scenes, and more often than not, the shows in question are just a minor bump in the road for those involved, and they continue to do great things down the line. Take for instance, the show ranked at number 46 on the list, the brainchild of two future TV titans. Sunday, Monday, happy days. Tuesday, Wednesday, happy days. First, we've mentioned the late, great Gary Marshall on this show before, but it's worth repeating that he practically changed the landscape of sitcoms in the 1970s, thanks in no small part to creating shows like Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley, Mork and Mindy, and also lesser work. Joni loves Chachi in an all-new episode. Things are good. But before he created the MCU, a.k.a. the Milwaukee Cinematic Universe, Marshall made his bones writing for a number of sitcom staples of the 1960s, including Danny Thomas, Dick Van Dyke, and on Lucille Ball's second sitcom, the one that should be remembered just as much as her first one, but I digress. 
Marshall was becoming so prolific in the world of television that it was only a matter of time until he would go from writing a TV show to putting one together from scratch, which he would eventually do in 1970. Of course, there's a fine line between being the creator of a TV show and being the developer of one, which Marshall was in this case since, let's face it, Neil Simon created the characters that would make up The Odd Couple. All Marshall did was adapt them for a TV audience. Nevertheless, Marshall's status as a hitmaker was on the rise. And while that was going on, another future TV super producer was on his own path towards becoming a legend. A name like Thomas L. Miller sounds pretty generic at first listen, but never judge a book by its cover. This particular Tom Miller got his start working behind the scenes as an uncredited assistant director on a handful of comedy classics, some like It Hot, The Fortune Cookie, and The Apartment, among others. Miller would eventually pivot his way to television, where he would gain a unique title on his resume, Executive in Charge of Project Development. And there's that word again, development. Uh, okay, quick vocabulary lesson slash digression. Development on any given showbiz project, whether it be TV, movies, or otherwise, is a lot like having a building under construction. You need to assemble all the necessary pieces in order for it to be a safe and sound structure. The person in charge of the development is pretty much the building foreman. He's there to make sure that nobody falls off a steel beam accidentally. In this case, the development stage of the production process includes flushing out the story idea, writing a draft of the script, and figuring out the financial logistics of the project. Depending on the type of film that you're making and who you can get involved, development can last anywhere from a few months to several years. Essentially, this was Tom Miller's job on a handful of TV shows and TV movies in the late 60s and early 70s. Jump to 1970, where Miller would go from developer to co-creator of one of his first sitcoms. Soft and sweet, wise and wonderful, who are mystical, magical Although not a rating smash, The Nanny and the Professor was a decent enough hit so that Tom Miller actually wound up on the radar of TV production companies once the show was canceled in 1971. One of those companies you, figuratively, had to look down from a mountaintop. Once the former Desilu Studios, long story, Paramount Television was one of the company's few bright lights at the turn of the 1970s, and at this point I cordially invite you to either watch or read The Kid Stays in the Picture by Robert Evans to help fill in the gaps. As far as TV goes, Paramount was making its presence known thanks to a few key partnerships, most notably for the ABC network, which was already airing a fair share of shows produced by Paramount, up to and including several that Gary Marshall had placed a hand in. Although we're not 100% certain how the two of them met, Marshall would team up with Miller to come up with what both thought would be their next big sitcom hit. Marshall and Miller's idea was a simple one. A suburban family takes in an unusual pet, or at least unusual for the era, and hilarity revolves around the kind of shenanigans that the pet would get into. The pet being... But before you go thinking to yourself, you fool, that would never work. Much to our surprise, this is not the first TV show to ever exist where a monkey would be one of its stars. 
When you have a minute, call your parents or grandparents, and after telling them how much you miss them, feel free to ask them who J. Fred Muggs was. Once they get over the initial shock of you asking such a dated question, they'll be more than happy to tell you that he was, honest to Satan, one of the first co-hosts of NBC's Today Show. I'm not kidding. Here's an excerpt from the YouTube channel, Weird History. That was when Carmine Bud Manella got an idea. He was a former page for NBC and used his contacts to get an audition for his 10-month-old primate named J. Fred Muggs. Unfortunately, they missed the audition and what was seemingly the chance of a lifetime. Then Bud and his chimp stopped by a coffee shop and their luck changed. Muggs dumped his donut into his coffee and suddenly he had everyone's attention. One of the amused customers happened to be an NBC executive who went to the NBC president and said, I want the chimp. The chimp was an instant hit with children viewers, who then later drew in their parents. Ratings boosted, as did ad revenue, and J. Fred Muggs merchandising soon followed. It's reported that Muggs earned NBC an estimated $100 million. Now, in the words of Lewis Black, I'm going to repeat that, because it bears repeating. A monkey dunking his donut in a New York City coffee shop caught the attention of an NBC executive who then hired him to be a correspondent on the Today Show during its first season on the air, helped keep it on the air, and rake in over $100 million in 1953 ad revenue, which, adjusted for inflation, would be somewhere north of 105 billion dollars in 2022. That's fucking nuts. Or given the animal in question, bananas. But nevertheless, a precedent had been set during the early years of television. In fact, if you still have your parents and grandparents on the phone, ask them if they also remember a show from 1961 called The Hathaways. The Hathaways. Starring Peggy Cat. Co-starring Jack Weston. And featuring the Marquee Chimps. And if anybody remembers that show, your entire family needs to get out more often. Someday. The point being, TV shows with monkeys in them have been around for a lot longer than you think. So, the idea of doing a show with a primate co-star isn't entirely out of the question. Especially by 1970, when another monkey show came on the air, and the difference here was that it was meant for a much younger audience. Lancelot Leap, Secret Chimp. The premise of Lancelot Link, Secret Chimp, is pretty straightforward. A spy agency run by primates tries to stop another spy agency run by primates from taking over the world. <sighs> Wait a minute, did somebody slip me peyote? Calling Lancelot Link! Come in, Link! That's Lancelot Link! That's Lancelot Link! This is Lancelot Link checking in. Anyway, this show was a modest hit for the CBS Network's Saturday morning schedule from 1970 to 1972. And the decision to put this show on the air was made squarely by... You guessed it. Oh, Fred. No matter how many times I try to praise you, you wind up doing something that makes me scratch my head so much that my finger winds up hitting the skull. 
Yes, it's true. Our patron saint was behind not only this show as the programmer of CBS's daytime lineup back then, but he's also responsible for greenlighting the show that Gary Marshall and Tom Miller came up with when Silverman became the head of programming at CBS in the development year of 1971. I'm guessing the mentality behind the Golden Guts decision was that if a show with a monkey could work in daytime, why not primetime? Fortunately, CBS was still in year 15 of its still unprecedented 21-year streak as TV's number one network. So it's not like they had anything to lose in this case. They could stand to have a flop or two here and there. Now comes the casting, and while we would be normally highlighting the human stars of our show first, there's no disputing that the monkey is indeed the star of the show. In fact, this monkey had a name and a reputation. So much so that we decided to let them tell their own part of the story via a, again, honest to Satan, interview that the monkey gave in the June 10th, 1972 edition of the Schenectady Gazette. Fair warning, it's been about 50 years, so the monkey is a little geriatric. That being said, here now is the star of our subject, Jackie the Chimp. Hi. My name is Buttons. Well, as a matter of fact, that isn't my real name. My real name is Jackie. But what actor do you know who uses his real name? So why should I? <coughs> no matter what you read in the magazines, I'm the real star of me and a chimp. After all, what actor do you know who's modest? Ted Bessel? Well, he's a nice enough guy. And a great actor. But where would he be in this series without me? He'd be just another dentist with a wife, two kids, and crabgrass. <coughs> anyway, I'm three and a half years old and I was born in Africa. Before we go any further, I want to make one thing perfectly clear. I'm not, repeat, not a monkey. Monkeys are those little weirdos with long tails, begging for coins to support their banana habit. Chimpanzees are members of the great ape family. My idol has always been King Kong, and I hope to carry on my own career in the great tradition he established years ago. <laughs> now, I'll eat a banana now and then, but I don't make a big deal of it. What I really like is monkey chow. There's that word again. I eat about a bucket of that a day with some fresh fruit and vegetables. <laughs> I'm happy to say that even though I'm now a veteran in show business, I have a pretty even temperament and don't throw my weight around. Such show business luminaries as Dean Jones, Lucille Ball, and James Stewart have supported me in movies and on television, and they're all anxious to work with me again. I'm playing it cool with my new family, so they won't think I'm a pushover in the friendship department. But it looks like it'll work out very well. The two kids in my series are very talented, and I'm teaching them the ropes little by little. Anita Gillette, who plays my screen mother, is a doll. And when I'm in the scene with her, I try very hard not to upstage her because she's a nice lady. I got a few little tricks I pull when I'm working with Bustle, but he's catching on to them. 
I see. I'm gonna have to fight him to upstage him in the close-ups. The only time I let the crew know who's boss is when they try to work me too late in the day. The mornings, yeah, they're okay. But by the middle of the afternoon, I'm ready for a nap. Sometimes I have to remind everyone that I'm the star and need my rest. A reminder that, yes, that was an actual interview. It's on Wikipedia and everything. Meanwhile, let's recap the cast that Jackie just mentioned. Particularly... That guy! Diamonds, daisies, snowflakes, that guy... For those who don't remember, that girl was considered the forerunner of shows like Mary Tyler Moore, young girl trying to make it on her own in the big city, etc. The difference between both of those shows is that Marlo Thomas had a man in her corner. Don Hollinger, played by the late Ted Bessel. To say nothing of how Bessel played Mary's boyfriend for a season on her show, but we've digressed too much in this episode as it is. Bessel would play Hollinger for all five seasons of That Girl. And as is the case whenever a popular series comes to an end, it's only too fitting for the stars of that success to think that whatever it is they'll do next will still be a hit. If Bessel had his way, he would have avoided this sitcom like a monkey with the Ebola virus. And for a little while, he almost did. Upon reading the script for what was originally called The Chimp and I, Bessel was all but ready to say no. That is, until his agent intervened and tried to sway Bessel onto the project due in small part to Gary Marshall's track record as a writer. Well, that and presumably a lot of this being offered. And also the condition that the title be changed so that Bessel would actually get top billing over the chimp. Ergo, the chimp and I became me and the chimp. Rounding out the cast was an established collection of veterans of all ages. Ted Bessel's wife would be played by longtime actress and singer Anita Gillette. The two kids would also be played by veterans of the screen even at their young age. Scott Colden of Sigmund and the Sea Monsters and Kemi Kotler of The Waltons. But both of those shows would come after this one came to an end. An end whose beginning we'll monkey around with... After the break. One banana or two bananas? One female orangutan or two female orangutans? One Supreme Pizza for $10.99 or two at Little Caesars for $9.98? He seems to prefer two. Why settle for one Supreme Pizza when you can get two at Little Caesars for just $9.98? Satisfaction guarantee. Pizza, pizza. This week on Telehell's premium content of the Dan. Here we go. This is uh, Telehell episode number 49, Viva Lachlan, our season premiere episode. And the lovely Diva is joining us. And this is take one. All right. We starting on my line? Uh, we are starting on your line. Yes. Okay. Hi there. I'm not sure if this is the right office that I'm contacting, but if this is the guy that who reviews the bad TV shows and uses my gimmick, please give me a call when you get this message. There's a few things we need to discuss. 
Okay, uh, let's try that line again because I think I heard you say if this is. Yeah, I kind of stumbled there. That's that's okay. Let's try that again. And, and remember, this is I, I set this uh, session for like five hours. Not that we actually need it. But <laughs> again, worst case scenario. So okay. uh, so we'll try that line one more time. All right. The only way to listen to Telehell's premium content of the damned is by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash podcast. For just a few bucks a month, you can listen to our premium content and get some swag along the way. Once again, that's patreon.com slash podcast. And now... Back to this week's torture. January 13th, 1972. American Pie by Don McLean gave radio DJs across the country a reason to go to the bathroom between songs. Sales of color TVs surpassed black and white TVs for the first time ever. And at 8 p.m., 7 p.m. Central, we attempt to accept a reality that involves owning a monkey as something perfectly normal, as we see the former Don Hollinger picking up the pieces of his missing newspaper. About my newspaper. We even stuck a biscuit can on one of his bananas. And we gave him our flashlight for a birthday present. Very nice. Would somebody please tell me what happened to my newspaper? We're trying to teach buttons to read. He did this? He made him do it, Daddy. We're sorry. Okay, honey, there's no real harm. But all I really need is just one page so I can check my stocks. But I can't check my stocks because they're on this page. This page is missing. Did it have a lot of numbers on it? Yes. I didn't read it. And already I have questions. Normally, in a TV pilot, there's a lot of establishment as to why we're here in the first place. In the first minute of the show, it's just, hey, here's a monkey that lives with a family. Mind telling us how we got to that point instead of saying that he exists in suburbia for no rhyme or reason? Why does he do that? Please don't shout. You know how sensitive he is to shouting. That's it. I'm not going to talk anymore. Would you turn that thing off? He's sensitive. Does he know how sensitive I am to this? Likes to push buttons. You, you know that's why the kids call them buttons. Yeah, you should hear what I call them. Look, so honey, when we first found buttons, we made an agreement. We keep them, but only until we found his owner. Now we've written letters to zoos, we put ads in papers, and we still haven't found his owner. That button crazy monkey must belong to someone. Yes, to us. <laughs> okay, at least that's a partial answer, and we get a reason why the monkey is called buttons. But simply saying, the kids found a monkey is not enough. Where did they find it? Or did the monkey find them? What is Button's origin story? And- Oh, hang on, my computer's trying to tell me something. What's this? Oh, an episode guide, okay. Uh, let's see. Standard issue sitcom fare. Monkey tries to be a security pet. Hilarity ensues. Monkey falls in love. Hilarity ensues. Monkey ruins wedding anniversary. Hilarity ensues. I'm starting to notice a pattern here. Monkey screws up a road map. Hilarity ensues. Monkey ruins family's big break in a TV commercial. Hilarity ensues. Are you sure Gary Marshall and Tom Miller wrote all of these? That just doesn't seem right. Uh, oh, wait, here we are. Uh, episode 11. 
The Reynolds family learns that Buttons was once part of the U.S. space program, and the government tries to get him back. Why is this not the storyline for the pilot? I mean, that's the perfect way to set things up instead of just blatant establishment. Monkey escapes the military, family takes it in, family fights to keep the monkey. Stakes are raised and no fecal matter is flung at anybody. Why bury the lead 11 episodes in? But sure, let's just blindly accept the fact that in our first episode that poof, monkey, shenanigans, and the audience is expected to eat it up right away. Other kids bring home frogs, turtles, even a nice rock. My kids bring home a monkey. Who knows how he'll grow up? He could be a gorilla. I don't want King Kong hanging on my TV antenna, slapping off TV repairmen. All I'm saying is that the kids and I have grown to love Buttons because we've devoted one whole month to him. You're ready to throw him out without so much as devoting one day to him. All right, all right. If I devote one whole day to that monkey, can I get rid of him? If you still want to. At least you'll have given him a chance. Good, I'm taking Scott and Kitty to Mother's for the day so you and Buttons can be alone. Terrific. <laughs> Just me and my monkey. And right around this time, we will be playing a piece of music for you. In this case, it would be Everybody's Got Something to Hide Except for Me and My Monkey by The Beatles. Unfortunately, even for our liberal use of music drops on this show, it's too risky and too expensive to do. So instead, let's flip through our music library to see what other songs about monkeys that we can use to fit the occasion. This one is for all the bouncers. Big, big monkey man. Next. Baby monkey was a little and sweet Baby monkey tried to cross the street He looked to the left and looked to the right And when the traffic was done He stepped off the curb and was hit by a bus And knocked the kingdom come Next Don't tell me I'm crazy Don't say too loud Oh no 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 not those monkeys <sighs> Okay forget it Let's just watch Ted Bessel pay his bills while the monkey watches. Riveting, I'm sure. $7.90. I'm $23,000 off. <laughs> How could I push so many wrong buttons? Buttons. Buttons! In case you haven't caught on as to what the main joke is in this show, Buttons likes to push buttons, both literal and figurative as Bessel takes Buttons to his dental office. Yet another boring scenario soon to be made shenanigan-tastic when an unexpected patient comes in. I, well, I see. Well, can't this wait until Dr. Kelp gets out of his pool? Oh, impossible. I have that big charity gala at the Hollywood Bowl tonight. Oh. <laughs> well, sit down. I'll take a look. I'm in charge. I used to be in charge of my own office. <laughs> And now, since Earth Day was this past Friday, as part of Telehell's ongoing commitment to use clips from TV shows until the carcass is picked clean from its bones, I'm going to recycle this clip from episode 23 to help pay off the joke that, let's be honest, we're all expecting to happen at this point as the society matron thinks she's getting her teeth looked at. This man is giving his wife kissings and lovings when suddenly his broker calls and he has to go talk to him. 
Then a monkey appears and he starts to kiss the woman and she thinks it's the guy. Look out, woman, it's a monkey. Act two starts off with grounds for a lawsuit. Because as it turns out, monkeys sitting on unconscious society matrons is actually kind of frowned upon. She is a very influential woman and she could sue me. But honey, when you explained, didn't she think it was funny? Stark terror and humor rarely mix. And you know what she accused me of? She said I put my patients to sleep and then I had a trained monkey do all the real work. <laughs> it isn't funny, Liz. She called me a fraud. <laughs> Assault by an animal is hilarious. <laughs> Just ask this lady who got her face torn off by a real-life chimp. <laughs> this is the legal counsel of the underworld. No, we're not going to play that clip from the Oprah interview with the lady who was mauled by a chimp. For the love of all that is unholy, that lady almost died. We may represent everything evil down here, but even we know the value of good taste. We now return to our narrator making fun of a TV show with a monkey in it, already in progress. Unfortunately, hilarity has to step aside in favor of sensibility. Chimps do not belong in homes. That's what I learned today. He is out. I was sure you were going to like him. Honey, you got to look at it from my side. How does it look for me, a professional man? We'll find out in a second as Buttons runs away from home. And sure enough, certain people are going to feel guilty about it. The police don't have any reports on seeing a missing chimp. Can we look some more? Don't worry, honey. I'm sure he'll come back soon. I think somebody scared him and he ran away. He doesn't like to be yelled at. Maybe you heard somebody shouting. Is anybody shouting? <laughs> I was shouting today. I was shouting about a chimp not belonging in a home. Look, kids, Buttons will get hungry and he'll come back home soon, I'm sure. Won't he, honey? Yeah, sure, sure he will. If he doesn't, he'll never be happy again as long as I live. And before you wonder whether or not this guilt-tripping family is Catholic or Jewish, the old man assures his kids that he will not only find the chimp, but he will grow to, at the very least, mildly tolerate him. Where is my raincoat? <laughs> By the front door on top of your umbrella and galoshes. I put him there. I married the Lone Ranger. Hey, I don't get it. If I had known when I met you, ten years later, going out in the storm to search for a chimp. You'd still marry me, because you like my legs. I still do. So long, Tonto. Did I miss something? What's with all the Lone Ranger references? Uh, look, you know what? I'm not getting into this. Every time I come across something that's completely out of context from the thing I review, I try to figure out what the correlation is, and nothing ever comes from it. That's the lesson I learned with Murray the Roast from the Clarissa Now pilot, with figuring out why Good Grief with Howie Mandel was on par with Pauly Shore's sitcom, and now it's happening here, so I really don't want to get into that crap again. So if you don't mind, I'm going to redub some of that scene with a reference that, at the very least, makes sense within the context of this show. 
Where is my raincoat? By the front door on top of your umbrella and galoshes. I put him there. I married... Tarzan. So long. Jane. And if Gary Marshall and Tom Miller are listening to this from beyond the grave, you're welcome. <laughs> Bessel is now on the hunt for the beloved Buttons. Buttons! Sorry, sorry, had to use that one. Eventually, he does find Buttons and makes peace with him. Look, my family had a month to know you. I really only gave it one day. So, I've decided that I need more time. What I'm trying to say is, I'll try and give you a try. Much to the delight of the two homeless bums that happened to be watching. They made up. I think I know what they was fighting about. What? The kid needs a haircut. The show ends with the ape getting more loving care than the father. It happens. As well as putting everything into perspective. It's going to be hard getting used to him. Well, it was hard getting used to me. The more fun. Good night, Buttons. Good night. And because I know we're all expecting it, one more joke about buttons pushing buttons. thing that aired on TV once. And once again, I question TV Guide's logic. A reminder that this show ranked number 46 on their list of the worst TV shows of all time. A list that, once again, I implore them to give an update to since it's been 20 years this year since they made it. And once again, even though the premise of this show is kinda silly, I don't think it deserves to be on the list. And yet... It still deserves to be here in Telehell. Why? Because there were some things behind the scenes worth discussing. Why? Because it was mentioned last season and our lightning struck, so we kind of have to do this. Why? Because Joe Blevins from the Happy Days podcast mentioned it. Why? Because we were all discussing Gary Marshall that week. Why? Because I wanted to fill up the schedule. Why? Because if we don't wrap up this show, my boss is going to feed me to his hellhound. Why? Because I don't want to tell a little girl to get lost by using swear words. Why? Because... Oh, fuck it. Let's just get to the nine circles. Okay, I love you. Bye-bye. Limbo. Lust. Gluttony. Greed. Wrath. Heresy. Violence. Fraud. Treachery. On the surface, Me and the Chimp was a silly show with a silly premise. Nothing that would cause any harm to the viewers. Unless, of course, you were a TV critic, then you'd probably go at it like a primitive beast. However, consider how perilous it might be to work with animals, even with all the training in the world by expert animal handlers. 
there could have been a layer of unpredictability involved that could have gotten some of the cast hurt. Fears that the human star of the show, Ted Bessel, lamented in the show's post-mortem. While, as far as we know, there were no incidents of animal-related violence on set, it still didn't change the fact that it was an animal on the set. And because of how unpredictable some of them may act sometimes, it wouldn't surprise me in the least if an especially rowdy monkey helped bring production of the show to a grinding halt. Especially if the show wound up going on for a few more years and the monkey would only grow up from there, leading to some primitive behind-the-scenes treachery. In David Hofstede's book, What Were You Thinking? The 100 Dumbest Events in TV History, he cited an unspecific interview with Bessel where he pretty much acknowledged that doing the show was one of the biggest mistakes of his career, which, by the way, was the reason why our show on Bad Career Moves was a top seven instead of a top eight, citing that his Monkey co-star was, quote, rude, dirty, and untalented. The monkey is a savage. If we get canceled in 13 weeks, my life might be saved, end quote. He then goes on to vent how Jackie the Chimp's hygiene problems, quote, ruined three pairs of shoes. I'm tired of all the puddles on the set, end quote. Now, I may not know from personal experience, but it sounds like working with animals is a pretty daunting task. And in this case, Bessel seemed justified in his wrath towards the chimp. Wrath, which would probably never exist were it not for the potentially high payday that he, and possibly the other cast members were offered to do the show in the first place. Then again, work is work no matter how greedy you feel. As for Gary Marshall and Tom Miller, both of them would go on to have some of the most storied careers in TV history. Marshall created things like Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley, Mork and Mindy, etc., and also go on to direct movies where he puts Hector Elizondo in a minor role. Simply put, Gary Marshall, talented guy. Miller wound up working with Marshall on most of his sitcoms, until he and another producer named Robert Boyette would team up over the next 50 years to practically invent the TGIF lineup on ABC. Family Matters is a Miller Boyette production in association with Lorimar Television and is distributed by Warner Brothers Domestic Television Distribution. Yeah, that Miller. Another talented guy. But if there was such a thing as beginner's luck, this show is clearly the opposite of that for both of them. But something tells me that no matter where they are right now from beyond the grave, they'd probably be looking at each other and think, yeah, we didn't think that one through. Me and the Chimp earns three out of nine circles of telehell. Does it deserve the hate that it got? No. Was it a bad idea? Not really. Was it a good fit for primetime? Clearly not. In fact, the biggest argument that I've read in the show's favor was that if this was a show that aired on Saturday mornings in the 1970s, it would have lasted a lot longer. And considering what aired on TV on Saturday mornings back then, that's saying a lot. Mort. Yes, your immenseness? You won't learn anything about that planet playing games. Go enroll in school. So I can learn to play games? No, I mean a regular school. Soon, demon, soon. But before we get to that, we have some actual business to take care of, particularly of the philanthropic kind. Next time on Telehell, it's our second annual charity episode. From May 1st through May 15th of 2022, all the downloads our next subject gets will equal $1 for the National Alliance on Mental Illness, Granted, the show that we're covering has absolutely nothing to do with the charity, but 
One would have to be crazy to try and turn a classic movie into a TV series. Matthew Broderick as me. This is television. This is real. Until then. If it's not in telehell, it's not worth a damn. The part of Jackie the Chimp was played by Joan Bishop. The legal counsel of the underworld was played by Rob Maurer. Telehell was written, produced, edited, and narrated by me, Justin Hart. All clips used in this program are protected under the Fair Use Doctrine of the U.S. Copyright Act of 1976, and all clips used come courtesy of their respective companies and owners. Some of the music used in this program comes courtesy of YouTube and their audio library service. Telehell is a production of Horton Road and is distributed by Libsyn. Now that everybody is getting mysterious chemicals injected into their arms, that can only mean one thing. It's almost safe to socialize with people again. So why not get a head start on that and follow us on our social feeds? Twitter and Facebook, both at Telehell Podcast. By the way, shows like these aren't cheap. Do what you can and can what you do at patreon.com slash telehellpodcast. podcast.